the enemy is busy and he doesn't sleep. Even though we may at times slumber, the enemy does not slumber, nor does he sleep. We must always be prepared in season and out of season to give an answer why we believe. We know that one day we're leaving this earth, but we don't know when. God knows when. So we must make preparation to leave this earth. Because this earth is not your home. For those of you who did not know that, this is not this earth is not your home. So I want to remind you. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. Last week was Mother's Day, and we have been in the book of Leviticus 26, and we are still in the first 13 verses. Today we pick up with verse 8. We will get through to my, I'm hoping we will get through verse 13. So we're planning to read verses 8 through 13 and address that today. This week, Leviticus 26, 8 through 13, I like to, we'll be in Petaluma at 6, uh, 7 o'clock at the Senior Center Wednesday. The women will be here at 5.15. The women will be here at 6 o'clock. We will have Bible study here, 6 to 7.30. Turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 26, beginning at verse 8. I'm going to read 6 through 13, actually, for context, but we will be focusing on verses 8 through 13. Beginning at verse 6, Leviticus 26, verse 6, I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. We praise your name today for your word, God, and pray that you will speak through your servant, give us ears to hear. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we are continuing the series, Blessings Are Not Caught, They Follow Obedience. Blessings are not caught, they follow obedience. As we pick up with verse 8 in our continued series, verse, it's, verse 8 is said to be more proverbial and that the Bible says that they would be superior in war. 
When we look at verse 8 again, it reads, Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. It is truly amazing that obedience to God's law puts you in the majority, regardless of the numbers that might come against you. Some of you are so concerned with the forces of the opposition that you have forgotten who's on your side. It is imperative and important to remember that your victory is not determined by the number of those that oppose you. It is based on who's on your side. It was the Israelites who had God on their side where the Lord said, five of you would chase a hundred and a hundred would chase ten thousand. God is saying that you will be superior in your going out. You will be victorious because I'm going to be with you. It's not because you've got the strongest arrow or the strongest bow or you you run the fastest or you have the biggest people. No, it's because of who's on your side. We sometimes think so small that we tend to minimize and we tend to undermine what God is able to do in our lives. We say that can't be done because look at how great the opposition is. And the Lord does not make any points in saying you will be victorious based on the fact that you will have these people with you fighting for you. He says, no, five of you didn't specify the condition, didn't say if it's little children, didn't say, but we understand that God is in because I'm with you. God will keep anyone who rises up against them, anybody that comes up against his people from being successful because why? Because what would be the reason? Because they are obedient to the word of God. Their enemies will be the ones that fleeing, the ones that will be fleeing. Today there are many people who are looking at their circumstances and saying, I can't make it because the odds are against me. Whenever we doubt God, it is a slap in his face. It is telling God he can't do it. It is telling God that he is incapable of meeting the needs. Whenever you survey the land, whenever you survey your surroundings, and you determine that something can't be done when God has told you it can be done, it is a slap in God's face. When the Lord is able to do anything and everything above all that we ask, think, or imagine. When he's able to do anything and we tell him that something can't be done, he doesn't appreciate it. Verse number 9. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your number and I will keep my covenant with you. Even the womb would be fruitful. To not have children at this time was most demeaning for women. Women looked for having, looked forward to having children. 
It was a blessing and a privilege to have children. It showed that God's favor was upon them. And when you, in fact, look at some of the passages in the Old Testament, one of the things that God said is that when there was disobedient, disobedience in the land or among his people, he would cause them to not be able to have children. But the Lord specifically says that I'm going to allow your womb to be fruitful if you obey me. We've discussed how the obedience would cause their food supply to grow in abundance. And now God says that I'm going to bless you to have children. There is a direct cause and effect and correlation that when God's word is not obeyed, children suffer. When we say that something is cause and effect or that something is a correlation, let me give you kind of in a basic form what that basically means. When I say that there is a cause and effect relationship, I am saying that a particular action will cause a certain response. If I do something, for example, if I slap someone, it, it will cause that person to flinch. It may cause me to get slapped back, but it will cause that person to recoil. My action is going to cause that person to be upset with me. There's a cause and effect. I do this, I can expect to get this back or expect this response. When we say that there is a correlation, let me give you another one. I mean, back in psychology, they, they say they give something, they say this, there's a stimulus. And, 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 say, and they did a training with dogs to see how much they would salivate with the pairing of a bell and the pairing of food. B.F. Skinner. And so they would ring a bell and they would introduce food. And they would measure how the dog would begin to prepare to salivate. So what was the thing they were, they were ultimately doing? They would eventually say that the ringing of the bell itself would cause that dog to begin to salivate because it had been paired. And so it became a cause and effect. So, and then, so there was a, uh, a direct relationship. When we say there's a correlation, we say that two things are paired together, but there may not necessarily be a cause and effect. It may not cause this type of reaction. But they seem to be correlated. When we look at God's word, there is a cause and effect. God is saying that when there's obedience, it will cause God to act in this way. If I do this, God says, I will do that. So if you are obedient, this thing is giving me a problem. <laughs> My headset. And the reason, <laughs> but, but when we look at the correlation, there is a strong relationship, but it may not necessarily always be a cause and effect. We can say that there are two things that are paired and they seem to produce this action, but you can't always say that it does always cause this to take place. But you can say, according to God's word, that if you obey me, it will cause me to bless the land, allow the fruit to grow, and allow the women to have children. Cause and effect. We want to be in a cause and effect relationship with the Lord. We want to be in a place where we obey God so that God's word 
is manifested in our lives. You want to live in such a way to where God, God does something or when you do something, God is bound to respond because He's honoring His Word. Do you not know, do you not know that God is not obligated to hear your prayers if you are outside of His will? God's not obligated to hear your prayers when you're living in sin. Doesn't have an obligation. All it was telling Israel that if you obey me, I'll do this. But if you don't, it's going to cause a problem between you and me. There is a difference between the world and God's people. There's a difference in how God responds to his people and those that are not his people. When the Lord says that I'm going to bless the womb, it was not a curse. I know sometimes when we think our children are born that they become a curse. Sometimes what you go through, it's still a blessing. They're a blessing. Even though they sometimes may cause chaos. They're a blessing. But you've got a responsibility to raise them. God said to the children, his people, I'm going to open up the womb and allow you to have children. It is a culture today that deems children in life as a curse. It is a world today outside of God's will that says that it's okay to kill your children, your babies, unborn, aborted. It's okay to do it. God says, Absolutely not. And we're going to look at some passages today around that. There was the cultures around the Israelites that were practicing child sacrifice. They thought that if I offer my child in this way, it will give me favor with my false gods that they thought were real gods. They thought that we could appease our false gods by offering our children. God says, I'll make you numerous. But when there's a culture of death, it actually brings destruction to a nation. I want to draw your attention to a passage in Exodus that looks at how God, when he made the family, when he was doing something, what his expectation was. Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 26 and 20. 7a. Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27a. And this is what it says. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Get that? Then tell them, it is the Lord's, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of the Israelites in Egypt. When your children ask you, you tell them. Today we have a culture where children are telling their parents what to do and being supported by the law. It was God who told the parents that when your children ask you, you tell them, I was the one that gave you this ordinance and here's the meaning behind it. Today, it's not parents training children. It's children telling their parents what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. 
And it is children who are telling their parents that if you don't do this or if you do this, I'm going to call the cops on you. God said it's parents who are to train their children. And so it is not surprising that we have following now children telling parents what to do, that we've got chaos in the land, rise in the streets, and children living in reckless regard for God's word. Parents are scared of their out-of-control children. Children can raise hell in the home. And parents are running scared and providing discipline. Except for in the teacher's home. We know that. <laughs> My home as well. <laughs> God's order was that children would be trained and taught by their parents. Their parents. So you can say all you want that we are living in a different age and a different culture. Yeah, that's right. But the culture is being turned into hell. Turning your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalm chapter 9, verse 17. And in fact, while you're getting it, I'm just going to quote it from the King James. And it says, A nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. A nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. We are seeing today in this society that a nation is leaving God out. Thank God that this child is calling the teacher at 7 o'clock. Please come and get me where it should be the parents who should be bringing their children to church and say, this is what the Word of God says. And then when they get older, they can make their decision. But as long as you're in my house, we go to church. It is a culture that forgets God, that thinks nothing of child sacrifice, thinks nothing of doing the opposite of what God says will bring blessings. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. Turn there, please. It says, Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 35. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. The Bible says, I'm fact, I'm going to go, I'm going to start at verse 30. Jeremiah chapter 32, beginning in verse 30. The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but provoke me with what their hands have made, declares the Lord. From the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. 32. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings and officials, their priests and prophets, the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, they turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond 
to discipline. They set up their abominable idols in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for for Baal, and in some in, in, in that name is Baal, in the valley of Benonom, to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech, though I never commanded, nor did it ever enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. These nations that were giving their children to God, even though God told them that I will bless your womb, don't follow the customs of those nations. The Lord told them, this is what will happen. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, verse 38. Genesis chapter 19, beginning, or verse 38, I should say. And it says, in fact, I'm going to go to verse 33. Genesis 19, beginning in verse 33. That night they got their father to drink wine. And the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the, uh, the older daughter, the next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also. And the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son. And she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son. She named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. It was the Ammonites. Also closely related with, related to the Amorites, but the Ammonites were a group of people that actually introduced the idol worship of Molech. They were the ones where we get this, the, the sacrifice of children to Molech. It comes from the Ammonites. And you see back in Genesis, it was Lot's daughters who actually slept with their father. And out of that culture came the tribe or the people of the Ammonites. It was King Solomon who married, and in his old age, the Bible says he married many foreign women. And his son, Rehoboam, his mother's name was Nama, I believe, and she comes from the tribe of the Ammonites, or the people of the Ammonites. The Lord had already told the kings of Israel not to marry those in these other nations because they're going to lead you astray. It is after Solomon died that his son Rehoboam and then one of Solomon's workers, Jeroboam, where the nation of Israel is divided. 
Rehoboam, his mother, the foreigner, was not the one that Solomon was to marry. When we consider Ruth, she was a Moabite. But get this. When Ruth was with her, her mother-in-law Naomi, she said, your people are going to be my people. And your God is going to be my God. The Moabites, they worship false gods. But Naomi and Ruth went together back home or back to the land where Naomi came from. And it was Ruth who said to her mother-in-law, your God is going to be my God. I am leaving my people. Their culture of idol worship. A culture that didn't honor the Lord. I'm going to serve your God. God is in the business of bringing people to himself. But it was the children of Israel that often ran after other gods. When God had made them a promise, I'm going to bless you. And then they took up the practice of offering their children to Molech. Today's culture, today's society has picked up that mantle and says that it's okay to have abortion. It is offering that child to Molech. It is the Lord who gave them promises and said, if you will obey. And as we begin to look next time or over the next of it, maybe the next month or two, look at some of the curses. We're going to see what the Lord lays out. God gave them warning of what you could do to avoid problems. But God gave them the promise that I'm going to bless your womb. But today, people are not honoring the Lord. And so we are reaping the whirlwind as a result. Verse number 10. Leviticus 26, verse 10. As we mentioned, you will be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. This goes back to verses 3 and 5 when the Lord had already told them about the rain. He now tells them is that I'm going to bless you so abundantly that you're going to be eating the food and you're going to have to make it out, make room for it because it's going to be so much. I'm, you're going to have to move it out to make room for that which is new that's coming in. You, you see, the idea that, that God just bears you that blesses you just enough to get over the line. Sometimes he may do it just to test you. Will you trust me? And then give you more. But he's saying, my provisions in this chapter here is based on obedience. I'm going to bless you so much to where you're going to still be eating last year's food when you've got to move it out to make room for the new. You're not going to have a crop problem. You're not going to have a harvest problem you're not going to have a reaping problem even when the lord talked about the year of jubilee when when the lord said in fact let me back up when the lord says that six years you are to plant and in the seventh year let the land rest and the question was came up the lord answers and and they were like well what are we to eat if in that seventh year, he says, I'm going to provide so much in the former years that you're going to have enough for three, four years after that. 
So that when that seventh year comes, you don't have to worry because I will provide so much in that sixth year that it will be enough for three years beyond. God's arm is not short. He's not insufficient. He's able to more than abundantly take care of our needs. And guess what? It is all tied to obedience. There is a cause and effect regarding your blessings and your obedience. Regarding God's hand of provision being on you. Now that is not to say that we don't experience difficulty because God will even use tests, hunger as he did for his children of Israel, to test them. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you, will you depend solely upon me? You see, the Israelites, God's people, were not to be like any other people. Do you not know that you are a special and peculiar people? You're not just like anybody else. You are a strange people. Some of y'all literally. <laughs> Messing with y'all. We all have a little strangeness in us. But a person that's God's people can say, I don't see how God's going to do it, but I know he is. Because he told me he's going to take care of me. Just how he's going to do it, I don't know. But I'm trusting him to honor his word. That's the God that we serve. I will bless you. Verse 11. I will put my dwelling place among you. And I will not abhor you. And most incredibly, God will put his dwelling place right there among them, and they will be God's people. God says, I'm going to walk among you. Isn't it an incredible thing to have God's presence right in your midst? I I was here at the church praying about a week ago on a Sunday morning. And there's not always a reason to be able to, you can't always, I don't base things on just on feeling necessarily. Oh, the Lord, I just feel the Lord's going to do it. I, I, I'm not, I, I question sometimes people when I hear that because I want to know how is it backed up with the Word. But that morning, as I began, you know, there's sometimes when it takes a while to get, it, when it, it takes a while to get into the presence of the Lord. You can be praying and your mind is just all over the place. But on that morning, almost as soon as I started, I just felt this the presence of God in this place. And on that day, I just felt that there would be something different about the service. And it was. I don't always have that experience, that feeling where, where it's just, oh, God, just immediately in God's presence. Because sometimes it takes work. It takes spending time with the Lord. But that morning, it was special. And it's just hard to explain. I just sensed God's presence. When the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, you notice that he would call Moses to himself upon that mountain. But it is when that tabernacle was built and it was placed in the middle of the camp that the Lord's presence came and dwelt. And the Lord was with his people in the midst of the camp. God wants to be with his people right in their presence. And the Lord is telling the children of Israel that if you will obey me, I will make my dwelling. He says, I will tabernacle with you. That's what the word tabernacle means. It means to dwell. 
When we say, Lord, we just want you to tabernacle among us. Lord, we just want you to dwell among us. And the Lord is saying that's even what he wants. He wants to dwell, and he makes this promise in verse 11, that I will make my dwelling place right there among you. God has always wanted to be with his people, which is our ultimate goal. If you are living in sin, God cannot dwell with you. What Adam lost through disobedience, when we think about that separation that occurred in the Garden of Eden, when the Lord told him, you've got to leave this place. And the Lord put a cherubim to keep them from reaching out to the tree of life. They were banished. They couldn't come to God any old way that they wanted. God had provided the way. And in this place here, God is saying, I will make my dwelling with you. No longer are you going to be a people that's enslaved in Egypt, nor are you going to be, uh, uh, nor will I have to be outside the camp. I'm going to make my dwelling right with you. Amongst my people. You know, have you ever been on one of those vacations and you have what's called that all-inclusive package? You go and you kind of pay for everything. So those of you who had time to go on vacation, we want the all-inclusive. If you don't get the all-inclusive, you've got to pay for basically everything as you go. You pay a little bit more for the all-inclusive, but pretty much you have all those things. You see, God is all-inclusive. When you have God, you've got everything you need. It, it, it's not like I can have a little bit of God. Little, no, no, no. You want the full package. Lord, I want all of you because if I have God, I have everything else that I need. Everything. Then God says, I will not abhor you. What is that? In other words, the abhor means it is to bring terror. It is to be, it is basically horror. Something that is really Really bad. It is intense fear. I will not abhor you. I won't bring such intense fear and horror upon you. It is in Ezekiel chapter 8 that gives an incredible story or, 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 or um, a vision of where the Lord, I think it's Ezekiel 8, where the Lord took Ezekiel up to see what was happening in his temple. And the description that was given of God of his below his waist was like fire. The Bible talks about that that God is like a consuming fire. That when they saw God upon that mountain, he, it, it appeared he appeared to them as a consuming fire. I think sometimes when we look at God, we don't see God as the mighty God for who He really is. God is an incredible God. And he says, I want to be right there among my people. Let me hurry up because our time is just about up. So God will not abhor you. He will not strike horror in you. Verse number 12. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Sister Michelle wrote a song that you will be my people. It's a song about Ruth, I believe, played at one time. But just a, a wonderful song. Song, the lyrics of that song. And 
As I look at this passage here, bring that song, that song to mind. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Verse 13, I am the Lord your God. <clears throat> Let me say this. Today there are a lot of people, as we look at kind of referencing back to verse 12, there are a lot of people who claim to belong to God, but he is not walking among them. The benefit of belonging to God is that he walks among us. That's the benefit. Verse 13. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. If you know about a yoke, a yoke causes you to not be able to stand up straight. It is a bar that, that would bind, that, that binds you. Uh, the bar that bound them caused them to not be able to walk what we would say erect. But they would be stooped over. Freedom was being offered for obedience. Slavery or the disobedience, I should say, that causes a person to have a yoke around their neck. And the Lord wants to bring about freedom. So when we think about how he delivered the children of Israel, he describes it in one passage as them being brought out on eagle's wings and on another here as he brings them out as the bar being broken, that yoke being broken. God wants to break the yoke that binds you. Some of you don't even know that you're bound. And you think that somehow I'm okay. But there's a yoke that binds many people. And the Lord says that that yoke that's binding people is disobedience to his word. He's already come to break the, the, to break the yoke. The freedom is already there. You have the answer there. The question is, will you take up what he says and do what he says so that the yoke can be broken? The Lord gave pre-warning as we bring this to a conclusion. He told them these things prior to them going into the land. It was a message that they received that could prevent them from running into problems. When we fail to pick up God's word and we fail to apply to our lives, we fail to recognize that it's the bar, the yoke that binds us that's on our neck. And then we become so accustomed and used to it that we don't even know that we're bound. How do you break that yoke? The Lord says, obey me. Excuses are never never accepted as repentance. You hear me? Excuses don't count as repentance. Longevity in sin does not count as repentance. You can long all you want for food And if you don't get food inside of you, it will be a matter of time before you will no longer be here. It's got to get from there in here. 
Too many people are keeping the word out there. Never shall it affect my life. But God's word has to make an impact on your life. Bow your heads. Today I want to know how many people need to have that, that yoke broken from your neck. The bars of yoke that have been placed around you. That sin that just binds you. It's only broken through God's word. I'm going to ask you this morning to stand. If there's a yoke that's binding you and you want it broken. Ain't for somebody else. This is for you. For those that are standing, Lord, we are praying today. That it is not a standing because it is the popular thing to do, and others did it, but because the person has made personal inventory of their own lives and saying that I've got a yoke that needs to be broken because I want God to walk right in the midst of my life. And the Lord says that it is in his word, it is obedience that will break the yoke. If you want God's presence, it is obedience to his word. And today, Lord, we pray that the standing acknowledges the need as well as the remedy that says, God, I accept the word of the Lord and will walk in obedience. I will be able to walk Lord, standing straight up, erect, no longer bent over by the bar of slavery, but by and from the freedom that God brings and gives. And so in this place today, we pray that we will walk with our heads held high as we walk in obedience to your word. Now today, we are praying that the personal inventory that people are making that they will do something about it as scary as some of it might be it is more scary to fall into the hands of an angry God that excuses won't be used but that repentance will lead to obedience we love you today and we thank you for your wonderful goodness. We honor you today for being God who cares enough for us to tell us what we need to hear. Praying that in Jesus' name you will help us to walk in submission to your, your holy word. We give you honor and glory in the precious name of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. God bless you.